Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 24. Hear God's word to us. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. My name is Tyler, and I am associate pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus, and it is my pleasure uh, to be here this morning. I'm so excited to dive into scripture with all of you. But before we get there, I just have to let you know, church, that I have a very important anniversary coming up this week, a special one-year anniversary. Um, because September 2nd, 2015, it was a big day for me. It really was. You see, last year, on September 2nd, I took my first first-class flight on an airplane. I have flown first-class. I know what it's like up there. I have seen the promised land, and it is very, very good. Um, just let me tell you that. September 2nd, 2015, church, you need to know it's the only time I've ever flown first-class. Uh, the ticket, it was purchased by someone else. I don't have a, a habit of first-class flying, but here's how I got there. Uh, this time last year, I was in seminary. I was at Trinity in Chicago, and I had just a few classes left to complete, and then I was doing some work in design and conference planning on the side. And this one night, I get a call from a friend of mine, and he says, Tyler, I've got a client in Houston who's having a photo shoot, and we want to fly in some extra help. Are you available? And initially, I responded by saying, hey, man, I've got some classes on Wednesday, and there's meetings that usually happen on Thursday. And then he told me what the client was going to pay. And I said, I'm there. Sign me up. And so this friend, he let me know that the client would be purchasing a plane ticket and that it would be arriving in my email inbox. And so I get this email from United Airlines. I open that email up, and my jaw dropped when I saw those words, first class. I grab my roommates. I say, can you believe it? Because here I am in seminary working a part-time job driving a 14-year-old car, yet somehow, some way, I am now in possession of a first-class ticket. I was giddy with excitement. So the travel day came, right, September 2nd. In this flight from Chicago to Houston, it's departing at 5.16 a.m., which means I am up at three getting ready and I put on a dress shirt and a little blazer and some nice shoes even though they'd come off in the security line because this was first class, 
And I am pulling out all the stops. And so I walked with extra swagger up to the gate agent. I hand her that ticket. I make my way to seat 3A, right, my throne for the next few hours. And the flight attendant comes up to me and says, hello, Mr. Cherneski, is there anything we can get for you? And I responded with tears in my eyes, no. <laughs> my life is complete. Absolutely complete. And so even though this flight, it's taking off before sunrise, I, I, I didn't want to fall asleep during all of it. I vowed to stay awake for it because I knew that I had a special seat and my special seat brought with it special privileges. Did you know up in first class, there is a flight attendant who only works with first class passengers? Did you know that they will give you blankets and extra food and extra drinks if you ask? Did you know that there is enough room to stretch out even if you are six foot one? And that every time they interact with you, it's, yes, Mr. Cherneski, and of course, Mr. Cherneski. You see, a first-class ticket, it brings first-class privileges. It says, this is someone special. This is someone who deserves to be served. And so as I studied Matthew 20 this week, as I contemplated the request that's made of Jesus, I couldn't help but think about my first-class experience. Because anyone who's flown first class can tell you that special seats bring special privileges. Special seats say, here's someone who deserves to be served. And in the text we're studying this morning, Jesus' disciples ask about special seats, don't they? Or more specifically, their mother does. She asks, can these two sons of mine sit at your right hand and at your left hand in your kingdom? She's basically saying, can they have special seats with special privileges in your kingdom? And if we're going to understand this text fully, and if we're going to grasp Jesus' response completely, if we're going to get to the heart of the message that Matthew intends to communicate to us through this written historical account that we're studying today, we have got to begin by owning the fact that their longing is our longing. Their desire is our desire. Simply put, like Jesus' disciples, we love the idea of being served. We love the idea of being served. I would contend that this is true no matter your age, no matter your vocation, no matter your income or personality. The idea of others working diligently on our behalf to anticipate and meet our needs, that's, that's appealing to us. The idea of others doing things to make our lives easier and, and our lives more comfortable, that's desirable to us. The idea that someone would do what we like, when we like, in the precise way that we would like it done. For some of us, that can sound like a dream come true. Now, it doesn't mean we all dream of a first-class plane ticket. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that in our own unique ways, we would all love if everyone else and everything else would orient themselves around prioritizing our needs, right? We'd love if people would serve us, our friends and our family, and never ask us to do anything too hard. We'd love if the weather would serve us, right? Rain, rain, go away, bring the sunshine back. We'd love if our roommates would serve us, right? Dishes, be gone. We'd love if cashiers or baristas would remember that they're there to serve us because the customer's always right after all, no matter the circumstance, right? Our desires matter most. That's, that's what we say, isn't it? That's, that's how we think we love the idea of being served. 
And I'm very specific when I say we love the idea of being served because I recognize that not all of us have experienced kind of a high level of service. I get that. I get that some of us have had maybe some first-class moments in life and others of us have only dreamed about what it might be like to be catered to and made much of. I, I, I totally get that. But what I find fascinating and what Jesus is addressing today is a deep-seated desire in every human heart to be served, to be the object of another's work and worry to be considered and catered to. And this morning, Jesus addresses that desire. And if this text is going to say anything to us at all, we've got to own that desire within our own hearts and recognize that it is there. We love the idea of being served. And this morning, Jesus says that that desire, that desire that's there in all of us, it has the potential to become toxic. It has the potential to destroy. I think that as we make our way through Matthew chapter 20, we'll see that our desire to be served, it has the potential to distract us, to divide us and ultimately derail us as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to become the kinds of people who live how Jesus lived and loved what Jesus loved. And so I think it's all here in this text, and I want to show it to you. So if you haven't already, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 20? We'll be starting in verse 18, Matthew 20, 18. It's on page 825 in our community Bibles. And we're picking up where we left off last week. Last week, we heard from Gabe how Jesus told this wonderful parable about the astounding nature of grace, right? That grace, when we come to understand it, is actually shocking. And so Jesus has finished that teaching, and now he and his disciples are on the road again, and they're headed to Jerusalem. And in a moment of private interaction on that journey, Jesus reminds his disciples of why they're going where they're going. And he says to them here in verse 18, he says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus tells his disciples for the third time in Matthew's gospel that he's headed to Jerusalem so that he might be arrested and crucified. Right? This is something we've heard Jesus say before as we've made our way verse by verse through Matthew's gospel. Maybe you remember in Matthew chapter 16 or in Matthew chapter 17 when we worked our way through those that Jesus made similar assertions about the necessity of his death to accomplish his mission, right? But what's astounding in this instance is that this very serious conversation is happening around Jesus's death, right? It's a private family moment where Jesus has gathered them together. And before it's even over, a bold, bold request come Jesus' way. We see it in verse 20. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. See, Jesus just gave sobering words about his impending death. And here comes the mother of James and John, right? two men that have been following Jesus closely, hearing Jesus's teaching, witnessing Jesus's power. They've traveled with him across the Judean countryside. And here they come with their mom, and she makes a bold request of Jesus. She asks on their behalf, can my son sit at your right and at your left in your kingdom? 
Now, friends, this should seem incredibly distasteful to us, doesn't it? A little bit. This, should, this would shock us if we were to witness it firsthand. I mean, imagine like kind of a, a wealthy tycoon, and they're on their deathbed, and the family's all gathered around, and they're giving their final words of encouragement and love to those gathered. And then some little bratty nephew pipes up, hey, but I get the Florida house, right? You know, I mean, that's what's happening here. Jesus has gathered them together for an intimate interaction about his impending death. And then a request is made for a special seat with special privileges. And I don't want us to miss the timing of this request because Matthew is trying to help us to see that our desire to be served, it can distract us. It can distract us. When the desire to be served grows within us, right, and we cultivate it and we say yes to it enough and it grows and comes to consume our hearts as it so easily can, when that happens, we can become just like James and John and their mom. We can be blind to the real needs around us. We can be callous towards what's taking place in our surroundings. We can be just totally disconnected with the feelings and the, really the real needs of our friends and our family and our coworkers. And then we just maneuver and behave with such disregard and in such distaste towards them because we're single-mindedly focused on making sure that we're served First. This can happen so easily, can't it? I mean, maybe you've seen this play out. Maybe it's happened at work with a coworker who says like the worst possible things at the worst possible time because they're just a little focused on their own needs and their own agenda, right? They're disconnected with the rest of the team's life. The priority is getting their, uh, their agenda accomplished. And so, so they're just sort of disregarding what's taking place around them. And it's like, how could you say that at a time like this? Well, they're so single-mindedly focused on making sure that they're served first. It can happen at work. It can happen in family situations or with roommates. It can happen uh, just really, really all over the place when folks decide that their desire to be served is worth more than others' needs around them and you become entirely and utterly distracted, right? Doing ridiculous things at ridiculous times. Jesus had barely finished speaking about his impending death and these disciples come with their mom and ask, can we have the two best seats in the kingdom? So Jesus responds, verse 22, and he says, you do not know what you're asking. And then he turns to the brothers and he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. Now this phrase, drink the cup, this is a phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament to refer to folks that are about to experience some kind of intense opposition or intense difficulty. So you find it throughout the Old Testament. In fact, we hear this same phrase, drink the cup again, from Jesus' own mouth right before he heads to the cross. He's praying to his father. He's asking, hey, if it's possible, can this cup pass me by? Right? I know a difficult cross is coming ahead, but if it's possible, I'd rather not drink this cup. If it's your will, Lord. Do you remember that's Jesus' last prayer that we hear? So this idea of drink the cup, when Jesus responds to his disciples by evoking this image, and by asking them, can you really, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? He's wanting to make it clear to them that, okay, you want a place of honor in my kingdom? You want to sit at my right hand or at my left hand? You have no idea what you're asking. Because I am going to earn the place of highest honor in my kingdom, but I'm going to get there by taking a very difficult road. Right? I'm going to die. And after that, my Father will raise me and I'll be exalted in the name that's above every name, right? I mean, we see that throughout the New Testament. But the way I get there, the way that I get this throne that you want to sit next to is by a very difficult path. 
Are you sure that you're able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? I mean, this is a very important question, and I think it's a question that Jesus still asks of his followers, and it's a question that we're going to come back to. But I also don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss that this discussion of good seats and difficult cups, it's happening in the presence of all the disciples, right? Everyone's there and everyone's gathered and Jesus is going back and forth with these brothers, but the rest of the disciples are standing around. And gosh, we got to catch their reaction. Don't miss this. Verse 24, I love this. It says, and when the 10 heard it, right, when they heard this conversation, when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. I love this detail. I mean, it stands out to me in this passage, and here's why. I love it because Matthew is putting himself in the text. See, Matthew knows what the ten were thinking because he was part of the ten. He's one of Jesus' disciples. So he puts himself in the story, and he's owning up to the fact that, man, when we heard James and John and their mom come and request this of Jesus, we all got mad. And I don't want you to miss why they're mad. Sure, they're mad that this is kind of distasteful and uncouth and it's rude that they would do it. But deeper, deeper down, they're mad that they didn't think to request this first. They're mad that they didn't think to request this first. And that's why Jesus addresses all the disciples next, right? He knows what they're thinking. He knows everyone needs to hear what he's going to say. But there's a conflict that's now emerging in their own hearts. I mean, that's why I love verse 24. Matthew is owning up to his own jealousy and owning up to the fact that even in that same moment, he wishes he would have asked. And I have to think that some of the disciples were saying, James and John, James and John get everything, right? And other disciples were thinking, man, I should really step up my game so that I can do this. And well, didn't Jesus notice what I did last week? I mean, they're going to sit at the right and the left. I should be squeezed in there. For, I mean, move apart, put another chair in there, right? I'm sure all kinds of ideas are happening when this request is issued. And I, I don't want to... I want us to see that verse 24 demonstrates that our desire to be served, it can divide us. It really can divide us. That's what's happening here. Because now that this request has been made, now that this idea of place of honor has been introduced in that whole group, right, in that intimate family moment, now Matthew's writing about the two and the ten, right? And this is unique language in Matthew's gospel, the idea that there's a faction here and a faction there wanting different things. I mean, division has been introduced into Jesus's closest followers because the desire to be served has become consuming. That can so, so easily happen. A question was raised about special seats and special privileges, and now the disciples are divided. And Jesus can sense this. And so he responds to everyone gathered collectively, and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, right? Jesus is saying, you're all well aware in the world that you live that people with power, people with special seats, people with special privileges, they use it to get what they want, right? You know that. You've seen that modeled. He says that. And then he says, it shall not be so among you. And here's the punchline. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the heart of Jesus' message for us today. And this is the core of what Matthew's wanting to communicate to us in this passage of his gospel. These three verses are central 
to understanding the call that Jesus has placed on the lives of all his followers. Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in my kingdom, if you want to do something praiseworthy, if you want to do something that attracts the attention of my father, if you want to do something great in my kingdom, you won't get there by seeking out what's best for number one. And you won't get there by looking for special favors or asking for special treatment. You'll get there by serving because when you serve, you're doing what I do. You're being like the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to this earth to get something, Jesus says. I came to give my life away. And if you're going to follow me, you've got to do the same. And that's a difficult thing to hear, isn't it? Because we know that serving can be hard, right? and serving can go unappreciated, and there are no guarantees when you serve that everything will turn out all right. I mean, we know that orienting our lives around the welfare of others that can make things uncomfortable for us or make things more complicated in our schedule. We know that. And I think our knowledge of that, knowing that serving is difficult, I think we sometimes use our knowledge of that fact to get our way out from under these very clear words of Jesus. The fact that we know that this is hard allows us and gives us some grounds to sometimes do some unique interpretive gymnastics and get out from under the weight of this kind of heavy request. We're really good at that, right? And this is why I think it's so important to realize that our desire to be served, and it, it can ultimately derail us as we seek to follow Jesus. It can, it can. Because we know that service is difficult, and we know that we desire to be served, and so that, that desire blooms, and we feed it, and we live in such a way as if our needs matter most, and then suddenly we're finding ways to rationalize ourselves right out from under these very clear words from Jesus. That's how it works, right? The fact is, if we are to follow Christ, we are supposed to be people who are over time becoming more and more like Jesus, which means that we are growing in our ability and desire to serve. But that's not what most of us want deep down. Or I'll say that's not what's natural for most of us to desire, right? That's what Jesus is saying in this text. Deep down, we all desire to be served. We share the assumptions and the desires of his disciples, right? The disciples assumed, first come, first serve, right? We've been here following you, and we're going to get paid, right? The disciples assumed, first come, first serve. But Jesus said, no, 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 first come and serve, right? First is a matter of priority, right? First before anything else. First, before you'll ever be honored in my kingdom, you have got to serve. You have got to serve, and so that question that Jesus asked earlier, it comes racing back in to my mind. Are, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Are you, are you able, are you really ready to orient your life around serving others? Are you, are you really willing to put away and try to, try to say no to that desire to be served and instead embrace service to others? Are, are you really able to drink that cup that I am to drink? I mean, that's a big question. And so this morning... Even here now, I want us to do a little bit of self-evaluative work. In the quietness of our hearts, I want us to start processing this question. Will I serve like Jesus served? Will I really serve like Jesus served? And be honest. Be honest with yourself. I mean, think of the ways it could cost or inconvenience you, right? You don't have to ignore that. Be honest. 
Think of the ways it could change your current habits or your current schedule. Will I serve like Jesus served? Am I going to be the kind of person whose life isn't oriented around my desire to be served, but instead prioritizes service to others? Because church, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to see that an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to serve. If we're going to say that we're disciples of Jesus, that means that we're people who have surrendered our desires to Jesus and have embraced his way of living, which means we've embraced generous service towards others. Serving, it's not an optional part of our discipleship. It's not an optional part of following Jesus. It is our discipleship because when we serve others, especially in places that are difficult and uncomfortable, when we serve others, we place ourselves in the kinds of spaces where we can be formed into people who are more like Jesus. Through the act of service itself, we become more and more like Jesus. That's how that spiritual formation takes place. And so we've got to grapple with the question, will I serve like Jesus served? Will I serve like Jesus served? It's a question we all need to ask and that we all need to answer seriously. And if our answer is yes, yes, I would desire that. I know it will be hard, but yes, I think I want to serve like Jesus served. Then the next question is, how will a commitment to serve transform your day-to-day life? Right? What will it look like day-to-day? And I've got to be honest with you folks, this is a tough question to answer in a format like this. One person talking to a bunch of people. And here's why. It's because service is contextual. Where you can serve or how you can serve depends on where you are and what roles you have there, right? Service is contextual. So depending on the place where you work, right, depending on the family you have, depending on the needs of the friends around you, serving in the way that Jesus would serve is going to look different for all of us. There's many different God-honoring ways to serve in this room as there are people in this room, right? It's going to be different and unique to all of us. And so that's why there's some homework this week. You've got to think about this question, will I serve like Jesus served, on your own. Because you've got to figure out what that means for you in your day-to-day life, in the various places where you serve, in the various roles that you occupy. How can you be a blessing to others? Now, I've got a few suggestions to maybe help prime the pump a bit. I mean, if you're thinking, I need to make a commitment to serve in my life, I need to change some things, here's a few ways that could look. First, it could mean there are new practices you need to embrace, right? Maybe there's a morning a week or a weekend of a month or some kind of way where you decide I'm going to be committed to serving, maybe in an institution in our city that does good work for others, right? But this idea like, I need a new time, I need a new habit, I need a new rhythm in my life where I go someplace to serve, right? That's what it could mean. It might mean that you act differently at work. Do you approach interactions out of a desire to help or give aid, right, rather than primarily to receive something, right? It could shift how you think about interacting at work. It could even change the way you send emails. I'm being 100% serious, church. There is a, a, questions that could come to mind. Is this email really serving who I'm sending it to? Is this a clear way of communicating it? Does it give them all the information they need? Does it make it easy for them to find things? I mean, they're, right, they're down to those nitty-gritty decisions, a commitment to service, it transforms everything. It could change the way you interact with your family, right? Can I help mom and dad with Thanksgiving? I don't know, maybe I need that one. It can change the way you interact with a spouse. It could have implications for the way you build your calendar. You might realize that you are so tightly scheduled that there are times where you wish you could have helped someone, but really you've just filled up your calendar, and so you decide to make some conscious room so that you have the flexibility to actually respond to needs as they arise. That could be what it means. 
Again, I don't know what it means for you specifically at this point because there are as many ways to serve as there are people in this room. But what I don't want us to get out from under, what I don't want us to do this week is to remove ourselves from the weight of Jesus' words, right? I mean, my fear even in listing these practical implications is that we might view it as a menu, pick one and say, there, I've checked my service box. And again, the idea of this text is so much bigger than that. Jesus is inviting his followers to a lifestyle of service, which means that it's not just pick one here and do this there. It's a total reorientation that has implications for all parts of our lives, right? It should feel a little bit weighty. That's okay. That's what Matthew's trying to accomplish in this text. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He wants us to know that his call to serve should impact every sphere of life, every sphere. And so again, there's the homework, right? This week, will you think about how every sphere of your life could be reoriented towards service? Is that a task that you'd be willing to take up if you want to follow Jesus in that way? And knowing that that task is difficult, and knowing that you might need a little bit of reminder, a little bit of encouragement to actually carry out this homework assignment, we have made these special cards. Now, church, I love cheesy things. So this card is intentionally business card sized, and it says servant on it. And that is to remind us that we, if we follow Jesus, have a whole new human job description. We have a whole new identity. Like our master, we are to be servants, right? In the same way that Jesus served us meeting our deepest need by giving his life on the cross so that we could be freed from sin and be allowed to live a flourishing life of productive work, right? In the same way that Jesus has served us and served everyone, right? The paradigm of serving is Jesus. In the same way that our master has done that, we now, if we follow him, have a new job description, a new title, and it's servant, right? In every sphere of life, in our home, at our work, with friends, we're to serve others. And so this cute little card, again, cheesy as it may be, Servant on one side, right? Think about that this week. How am I embracing that role in every sphere of life? And then on the back, it has this verse that we've been studying in depth this morning. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but what? To serve. To serve. Church, like our Master Jesus, we must embrace the identity of servant. These cards, if you didn't get them, they were, in, they were in your monthly update. They're in a pile there as you leave. Take one with you as a reminder to think about this question this week. Will you embrace the call to serve like Jesus served? Will I serve like Jesus served? It was a pressing question for Jesus' disciples then. It's still a question for those who want to follow him today. Let's pray. Lord, we know that this call to serve is tough. And then if we're going to be the kinds of people who can carry it out, we're going to need your help. And we know you never ask us or call us to do anything that you don't empower us to do. So we're asking this morning, Lord, this week, would you give us fresh zeal and fresh motivation stirred on by your word to look again at our calendars, to look again at our priorities, and to consider how we can become the kinds of people who served like you served? Would you give us creativity and thinking through ways that we could serve? Would you give us boldness to carry out whatever plans you place on your heart, Lord? And would you remind us that our power to serve comes from the fact that we have been well served by you, that you, the ultimate servant, care for all our needs and have therefore enabled us to care well 
for others. So Lord, we, we need your help this week as we carry out this task of reflection and thinking about being good servants, and we ask you for it now. Would you help us? It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.